0: Thank you, Pastor Chad, for that prayer of supplication. And um, again, thank you all for being here this morning. We will look at Psalm 103, but before we do, I'd like to ask you, we're going to do a little mental exercise here, and I know some of you might be threatened by that, but relax. It's not a pop quiz of the last six sermons or anything like that. I'd like for you to take your worship guide out. If you have your worship guide handy, take your worship guide out. That's all right, the yellow piece of paper there. I appreciate these bright colors that Pastor Chad and then Brother Tim incorporates into the preparation of our worship guides. But if you have your worship guide there handy, uh, front page. Uh, Go all the way down below where you see Cornerstone Baptist Church and the website. You'll see that. And there's blank space right there handily for you to use this morning. What I'd like to ask you to do in that blank space is put in bold capital letters uh, vertically, one on top of the other. Uh, First of all, G, If you'll put a big capital G, and then is everybody there? All right. Um, And underneath that, a capital K, big capital K right under the G, and then right under that, capital S. Okay, y'all like word puzzles? You're probably already trying to figure out what this is. Okay, go back up to the capital G And off to the side of it, if you would, put the letter O, as in the word go. There you go. No pun intended. Right down below it, next to the capital K, put N-O-W, now. So now you got the word no. There you go. I think some of you have figured out where we're headed. And uh, right next to the uh, capital S, you'll put a Native American word, how, um, H-O-W, And that will make the word show. Now, if you've done it right, and I have no doubt that my very studious congregation has, then you'll have go, know, and show. If you remember from our seminar on evangelism a year ago, we talked about just a very simple um, process of getting uh, the word of the gospel out to people to share in our faith using go, know, and show. First of all, go. I challenge all of us. Pastors and and deacons and uh, ministry leaders, church members, pray about going to someone that, as far as you know, does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Just ask God to put on your heart someone that you'll go to. You can't really share if you don't go, first of all. And no, no text. Emails don't count. Telephone calls don't get it. I want you to go in person. Okay? So, you'll be praying about somebody that God will put on your heart that you'll go to. Once you get to them, get to know them, okay? And by that, get to know something about their family. Who's in their family, you know? Um, Where do they grow up? Where's home for them? That type of thing. What type of careers do they have? Or where are they in school or hobbies? And Just get to know. What you're doing is building a relationship. This relationship, if you allow the Lord's Spirit to use it, can become a bridge. To the show. And once you have determined that this individual is not a Christian. Does not know and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Is not a follower of Christ. Then here's an opportunity that the Spirit can use you in a very simple way. You don't have to have this very intense theological definition or or process. Put it in your own words. Talk about what the gospel is. That God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever would believe upon Him, put their trust in Him, they would have eternal life. And then tell them what Jesus means to you. And so show them. So once you determine that a person is not a Christian, then you let the Spirit of God lead you to show them the truth of the gospel. We have out here on the track rack, in the vestibule, we have a, 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 a whole collection of, of eternal life Salvation tracks. You can use those. Take them. They're there for you. So that when you have the opportunity to, to encounter someone that doesn't have a relationship with the Lord, that little track, little booklet, explains everything right from the Word of God. How a person can come to know that Jesus Christ is their Savior. And if a person tells you, well, I'm a Christian. I, I accepted Christ years ago. He's my Lord and all of that. But if they indicate that they're not actively involved in church... Then you show them the way to Cornerstone. Does everybody know the way to Cornerstone? Okay, I'm assuming that you do. Then you can say, "Hey, so you don't have a church family? Can I invite you to come? We got plenty of room, <laughs> and we'd love for you to come and experience what God is doing at Cornerstone, and tell them about your church family. Be excited about your church family. Okay, so go, know, and show. Got it? Good. All right, let's see us. Put it into action. Now you can open your Bibles up to Psalm 103. I've been preaching a series of messages out of the Psalms. I've really enjoyed this because it's really opened up my eyes to the different natures of the different Psalms and the purposes of the Psalms and and background. And certainly the Psalms, as a part of the Word of God, really highlights other parts of God's Word. Whether they are historically looking back to times previously that occurred in the life of the nation of Israel. Or whether they're looking ahead prophetically to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, it's just so exciting to see how the Psalms fit right nestled right there in the middle of the, of the Bible and, and help us to gain insights. So there are practical insights that we can glean from these, these wonderful ancient writings inspired by the, Word of God, or by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's why we call them life lessons. Let these, let these messages resonate in your heart and think about ways that, that they can apply to your, your life and your relationship with the Lord. So as we look at Psalm 103, it's a psalm written by David, and the subtitle in my Bible is Praise for the Lord's Mercies. Now if you read reading in the New International Version, you'll probably see where mercies is oftentimes substituted with the word love. So love and mercy as far as God is concerned, go hand in hand. And we'll see that as we open up the text this morning. But you know, I was reading about a song. And yeah, the legend, no doubt fictional, uh, has it that the music for this song, Amy, I'm sure you'll find this interesting, that the music for this particular song was found in a bottle that had washed up on the shore out of the waves of the ocean. And no, it's not another genie story, so don't get all psyched up there. But, but they surmise that the reason that the, the, the legend came about is simply because the lyrics of the song make reference to the ocean and the waves, and so they just threw in, you know, everybody likes a good story. Historically, though, we know that the facts are that the song was written by a 19th century London businessman by the name of Samuel Francis, who gave us the words of this hymn, Oh, the deep, deep love of jesus i don 't know were you playing that during the uh, the the confessional you played one of the songs about the deep love of God, and so I was it resonated in my mind but but this this London businessman traveled back and forth across the ocean often, and so it was reasonable that he would draw from the imagery of the waves and the vastness of the ocean to be able to describe or attempt to describe the vast an immeasurable love of god or love of christ in one of the verses he says oh the deep deep love of jesus vast unmeasured boundless free rolling like a mighty ocean its fullness over me what does the love of god mean to you what what does the mercy of god mean to you Does it mean much? Do you make much of the love of God? I thought here on the day that we nationally, maybe internationally, I don't know if other countries celebrate Valentine's Day, but Americans sure go crazy over it. Uh, But that's okay. I'm all for love. But, But for you as a believer, as a child of God, do you make much of the love of God? What does it mean to you? What if you wrote a song? What if you wrote a poem? What if you just wrote a few verses? What could you say about the love of Christ, the mercy of God? Well, it just turns out that another gifted and inspired writer some centuries earlier than Samuel Francis was also taken back with the love of God. And so under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wrote about the wonder of the love and the mercy of God. And hence we have the psalm that we're We've read responsively together in in the earlier part of our service and the psalm that you have before you, Psalm 103, it was written by that shepherd boy, giant killer. The greatest earthly king of the nation of Israel, David. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. First thing I want to ask him is, what size rock was that that you used on old Goliath? No. I want to just, can you imagine just sitting for endless hours on end in the, in the beauty and the splendor of heaven and and, and and just having conversation with David and said, David, t- tell me about." your relationship with God well what do you think oh wouldn't it be great just to hear David just pour out his heart about how awesome God is how great God is and the love of God the mercy of God and and so he goes on and on and on in this psalm about his appreciation for the vast multifaceted love of God and mercy of God so let's dig in First of all, what I want you to see is we look at the first couple of verses in Psalm 103, the personal nature of God's merciful love. It's very personal. And though it's manifested in other ways. Worship has its intimate and most effective origin, not in the vast halls of some ornate cathedral. Worship uh, it, it doesn't have its most effective origin in throngs of worshipers. Uh, most effectively... Worship has its intimate origin within the heart and the soul of the individual believer. Worship at its very best is generated within, deep within the heart of the individual child of God. And you sense that from David in verse 1, which says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. I know humorously I've used that sometimes when some enthusiastic fellowship meal people will go and jump in line and start eating and we haven't had the blessing. So I'll use that text there, you know, bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. So, but I wouldn't suggest you do that because it's taking it out of context, okay? Only pastors have that prerogative. No, but bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. You see David experiencing God's love and mercy, and it elicits a personal praise from deep within him. You know, one of our core values as a church is describing worship, the true biblical worship of God is God-centered. It's not man-centered. It's not about us. It's about Him. It's, worship is not for our enjoyment. It's for His pleasure. And so David gets that. And worship of, of the Lord is not something that we are externally stimulated by, that stimulates and excites our passions and our emotions. No, folks, worship, true worship, starts deep down within the soul of the individual The working of God's Word and the working of God's Spirit in your soul is where worship happens. And that's what David is saying, oh bless the Lord, oh my soul and all that is within me. Sincere worship encompasses our whole being. It's about God doing something in us that generates within us a response towards Him which is worship. And so when you come into the sanctuary and you, you read the Word of God and you pray from your heart and you sing the wonderful songs of praise to God, listen, God's Spirit is, should be stirring deep inside of you like a dynamo, a spiritual dynamo to bring forth a response to God. Listen, when we worship, we worship with our soul. And if you understand the concept of the soul, folks, let me tell you something. Worship touches you in many areas. If you are truly worshiping, you are being touched at the very essence of who you are. Worship affects your mind. Worship affects your, 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 your will. Worship affects your emotions. Listen, worship even affects us physically because sometimes you get so caught up in the magnitude of the greatness and the glory and the goodness of God that you can't help but raise your hand. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Your lips get involved as you as you sing praises, as you shout praises to God. So you see, worship is not passively sitting back. It's, it's about letting the, the Spirit of God and the Word of God stir you. David is do it, letting, letting that happen within him. But he goes on and says then, verse 2, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all His benefits. David is remembering the loving acts of God. And you know, when you remember the loving acts of God, dear friend, it bolsters your faith in the Lord. Don't forget. Don't ever forget the things that God has done. I guarantee you, David never forgot. From the earliest of times out there on those fields, on the hills outside of Bethlehem, tending his father's sheep, or as he, as he was out on the battlefield fighting the Philistines and other enemies of Israel, as he was leading the, the nation of Israel as their king, David remembered the many ways that God acted in his life, and in all he recalled these. That's what he says, I... He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, all the things that God has done. Listen, think about all the benefits of, of being a child of God. That's a good thing to remember when you sit in the sanctuary or you prepare in your heart to worship God. Think about the benefits that are ours. There are many. Oh, they're innumerable. Think about the comfort that God gives us, the confidence that God gives us, the inspiration that God gives us. Think about the peace that we have, the hope that we have. Think about the the way that God gives us strength from day to day, the eternal life that is ours, that we live with the confident assurance that should death take us out of this life, we will step into glory in the presence of God. Those are just a few of the benefits. David says, oh, listen, recall the benefits of God if you want to worship the Lord you can just focus on the name of God David says there in that second verse bless the Lord oh my soul he says earlier bless his holy name bless his holy name brother Charlie Burden in his Prayer for the offering reminded us in our Christian growth groups we're studying, you know, in the book of Exodus and how God is, is, is carving out this this, relation, this covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. He's helping them to understand what it means to be the people of God. And a part of that is that He gave them the Ten Commandments. And among the Ten Commandments, you may recall in Exodus chapter 20 verse 7, God said very, very boldly to the people of Israel, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't just flippantly use my name. Don't disrespectfully utter the name of God. He says, You're, You will treat my name as it's holy because I am holy. Oh, listen, just meditating upon the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something it can bring about worship. I loved to sometimes in my prayer time just let the names of God, the Hebrew names of God, just kind of float through my minds, my mind to to just stir up things. I think about the the name of God, Elohim, and I think you know the superior Creator of all of creation, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There in Genesis chapter one, when they brought it all together. Oh, I just worship the Creator, but then I think about the name of God, Jehovah, oh Yahweh, that, that 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 timeless name of the God who who surpasses. All time, the great I Am and the, the God of covenant and love. I think about El Sabaoth, the name of God that speaks of the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, who has command over all of creation. I think about Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing, who is the God of divine healing, who, who heals our souls, who heals our bodies. I think about El Shaddai, the God who is invincible, all-powerful, omnipotent, who, whose power is unrivaled throughout all the universe, or El Royai. The Lord who is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And leads me beside... Oh, listen, there's just a few. Listen, when you just stop and think about the name of God. And David said, oh, bless His holy name. We can worship God by meditating upon His name. But we move from the very personal aspect of of God's worship, uh, God's love. To consider the redemptive nature of God's love. As we look further in verse 3 in Psalm 103. David goes on to say, "Who forgives all our iniquities? Who heals all your desires, or diseases? Excuse me. Who heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from destruction? Who crowns you with love and kindness and tender mercies?" Now, in the NIV, it would say, "Who crowns you with love and compassion?" Verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see the redemptive nature of God's love because you see, as I said earlier, the mercy of God and the love of God go hand in hand. There is no separating the two. I think about what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 when he's describing the love of God, the mercy of God. But he said, but God who is rich in mercy... According to His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He raised us uh, made us alive together with Christ. It was God's love. It was God's mercy, Paul says. God is rich in mercy. And His mercy is generated from His abundant, divine, agape love. And when we consider the love of God, we have to consider the fact that it was God's love that brought about our redemption the psalmist expounds on the benefits of God's people, what it means to be a part of God's people as he shares here, the God who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your desires. We, we have access to the divine healing power. The love of God speaks of the healing nature of our God. Our God is a wonderful healer. He is the original faith healer, Amen. He is the one, as His name Jehovah Rapha implies, His love brings healing. Let me tell you something, as Pastor Chad implied in our prayer of supplication, we live in a broken world. We live in a very, very broken world physically, politically, economically, socially. The families are broken, the marriages are broken, the homes are broken, communities are broken. Listen, our nation is divided. If ever we have needed to experience the healing of God's love, Oh, let me tell you something. We need it now. You know, the beauty of this is, is that look at the way that David describes that. He says in verse 3, Who forgives all our iniquities and heals all, our, all your diseases. Isn't that amazing? How he would just bring together that, that forgiveness of our sins with the healing of our physical bodies. And, and you know what? That's not, that's not far apart from what the new testament teaches about the son of god you may recall earlier in the in the series in the gospel of mark where i I forget which one of the preachers brought the message in mark chapter two but you'll you'll recognize the episode because it's a it's a favorite childhood story that we bring out the scriptures and talking about jesus early in his ministry in mark chapter two verses nine through eleven you remember where the, the the paralyzed man had four dedicated faithful friends who put him on a pallet and brought him to the house where Jesus was teaching. You remember? It was crowded. They couldn't get in through the front door. So what did they do? Like any reasonable Baptist, they went up on the roof and started the, raising the roof. And they, they, they found a hole big enough to Lord their friend down right in front of Jesus. With all the stucco and everything else falling down, straw and everything. And, and Jesus looks down at the man. He astounds the crowd. He probably surprised the man too. When he told the man, he didn't say, hey, get healed. <laughs> he didn't say heal you know and get up and walk you know jesus says your sins are forgiven and that just blew the minds of the religious leaders who were gathered there in the house they began to think in their minds silently hey this guy's blaspheming nobody has the authority of their power to heal i mean to, to to forgive sin and jesus read their minds and that makes it a little dangerous when you're around the lord you know what i mean he's reading you like a book and you think there are no secrets with the lord amen So you might as well go ahead and confess them, get them out there. But anyway, Jesus read the mind. He said, he he replied to them, well, what do you think? I'm paraphrasing. He said, what do you think? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or take your pallet and get up and walk? And then he went on to say, just to show you that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has the power, has the authority, not only to forgive sins, I can heal. And with that, Jesus looked at the man laying there and there, helpless on that pallet. And he said, get up. Maybe not with that kind of, but get up. Get your pallet, roll it up, go home. And the man jumped up, never walked in all of his life. But what Jesus was demonstrating, he came into the world to heal men and women and children of the sicknesses and diseases. But more importantly, he came to heal us of the great illness called sin. And David is saying that this, he says, Oh, the love of God reminds me that He is the one who forgives us of our iniquities, but He also is the one who heals us. We have access to that healing power of God. We have also access to the divine redemptive power of God. His love provides the redemption. If you're here today and you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how it all started. It started in the heart of God. Before eternity began, God knew that he would, he would save you. He knew that His Son would die for you. I don't think David ever got over the fact that he knew in his heart that somehow, some way, that God was going to provide salvation for him. That he would not, His body would not lay in the tomb. His soul would not be condemned to Sheol. Listen to what he said earlier. Hold your place there in Psalm 103. This is David speaking earlier in Psalm sixteen nine. Listen to what he says in, in, in Psalm 16, verse 9. David says, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, the abode of the dead, the grave. Nor will you allow your Holy One, capitalized, to seek corruption. David is speaking historically, personally about himself. He says, I don't know how it's going to work. You understand, David didn't have the benefit of the New Testament he's writing these words under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit this great man of faith realized in his spirit somehow that God was going to raise him from the dead and David says I'm confident that my soul won't be bound in Sheol but David also speaks prophetically there because he says I'm also confident that when your Messiah comes when the blessed Messiah comes you will not allow his body to experience corruption is that true? you better believe it's true because we know that the, when the Messiah came, Jesus Christ, that he was indeed crucified. His body was laid in a tomb. And, and three days after his body was in the tomb, before he saw corruption, the Son of God was raised from the dead. Aren't you glad? You understand, you and I had the benefit of looking back in history to see that this is a reality. So why in the world would we ever fear death? If David was confident that his soul would be redeemed from the pits of Sheol, we know for sure that we will be too because Jesus lives. I like that song that the Gaithers came out with decades ago. Man, that dates me. Because I remember when it first came out. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I know I will live. Because Jesus lives came out of the grave because he stepped out in glory and power and new life let me tell you something we know we too, we too shall live but not only does he expound on the benefits of god's for god 's people but he also talks about the mercy of God the merciful love that delivers pleasure and vitality listen it 's a good thing to be in love with God there are many benefits. To loving God. There's many benefits to receiving the love of God, to walking in the love and the mercy of God. David touches on a few of those here in verse uh, Psalm 103. You look at verse 5. He says, Who satisfies your mouth with good things? Do you understand God takes pleasure in our pleasure? Listen to what David said again earlier in another Psalm, in Psalm 37, if you want to go back there and, and look with me. Psalm 37. <clears throat> In verse 4, he says, well, verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, God is all in to bring in pleasure into our lives. Why? Because He loves us. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, you know, the Lord said through Jeremiah, I know the thoughts I think towards you. Thoughts of peace, Not evil. To give you a future and to give you a hope, God said, listen, I'm on your side. I'm all for you experiencing pleasure in this life. But that doesn't mean that, that all of life is going to be pleasurable. All of life is going to be easy. Because we know that God allows times of hardship and trials and tribulations to come into our lives to strengthen our faith. But in the overall picture, because God loves us, He wants to bring pleasure into our lives. And when you're walking and basking in the warmth of God's love, and you are consciously aware that I am an object of God's love, let me tell you something, you will find pleasure. This ought to capture the attention of the senior adults as we look further there, verse 5. Because he said, not only as we experience the love of God, he says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And I don't know about you, fellow senior adults, but I find myself on some mornings wishing I had a jolt of that eagle-like vitality. But, but, but David is saying something that's the truth here. It's, it's interesting that he uses the imagery that, that Isaiah uses in chapter 40, verse 31, or verse 30. In 31 where he says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who who walk with the Lord, who experience the love of God, who are the recipients of God's love. He says, those are the ones who will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They, They shall run and not be tired. They shall walk and not faint. So, using that same imagery, David is saying here the love of God, the mercy of God, being a recipient and the object of God's love has a revitalizing or an invigorating effect on our spirit. And all for that. The times that my spirit is lifted, the time that I have more emotional energy, and sometimes even physical energy, is when I am focused on God and just, just keenly making myself aware. Charlie, you are a child of God. You are an eternal creature in Christ. You are... God loves you. He died for you. You are somebody. And it just kind of lifts you out of the doldrums. As I think about that, I think about my my own dad. He's 89 and headed towards 90, planning his 90th birthday celebration. It'll probably last about three months, but anyway. He never ceases to amaze me because he... He, he, like I say, he's 89, retired farmer. His body has weathered a lot of hard work and probably abuse yeah, with all the work and everything. But, but he he is a walking example of this vitality that comes from faith in Christ. Because that is the number one, most important thing in his life. He loves his family. He loves his community. He loves people in general. But boy, let me tell you, the number one love of his life is the Lord Jesus Christ. He never misses a time in church unless he is really, really sick. He's there when the doors are open. And then sometimes when they're not, he knows where the key is. Whenever there's an opportunity to to talk to people about the Lord Jesus, he loves that. He loves that. He enjoys when I come up and we go out on visitation and we just go visit shut-ins and we go through the nursing homes and we talk to people about the Lord. We pray with people. He thrives on that. Listen, my dad is a wonderful example of the vitality that comes through a faith in Jesus Christ and a love for God. He knows that God loves him. He knows that no matter what life throws at him, that nothing can separate a- him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, it has an invigorating effect. I think about saints like my dad and others in this church. Many of you inspire me because you've got it. You've, you've, you've got it. You, you've grasped the truth of John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I came that they might have life, but that they might have it more abundantly. Do you understand, Christians? Because you are the object of God's love, because you are a child of God, because you are part of the family of God, because you're the apple of God's eye, let me tell you something. You, God has never intended for His people to just exist. Just to go through the motions of life. Jesus has given us eternal life that will, that will go over into eternity in the presence of God. But let me tell you something. Right now, right now, because He loves you and you're an object of His love, you have the ability to live the abundant life. And that is living your life for the Lord and setting your priorities on the things that you know matter to God. Like other people and their needs and being kind and showing love and telling people about Jesus and worshiping God and serving God. Those are the elements of the abundant life. Because I'll tell you something, all the things that you accumulate, your money and your CDs, and I don't mean the ones you listen to. I guess this has come up with another term for that. But, but all of your retirement money and all your possessions and, and, and everything that you own, all the accolades of praise that hang on your wall, the degrees and everything, let me tell you something, you're going to leave it behind. You're not taking it with you. It won't make one iota of difference on the other side of eternity. Let me tell you about the things that will matter. Those are the things that make up the abundant life. That's when you stop out of your busy schedule. When you know you had a neighbor who was struggling and hurting. And you take the time to go and talk to them and pray with them. It's when you pick up the phone out of your busy schedule. And you call a member of the church that's going through a hard time. And just offer words of encouragement. Or you get out a pen and you send a card. Or you go and you do something as a kind deed. Or even to a perfect stranger, you take the time to show the love of God. Those are the things that will go with you into eternity. That's a part of this wonderful, abundant life. God loves us that we might love others. Oh, I need to move on because as we look further, I want you to see the compassionate nature of God's love. And oh, it is. What a compassionate God we serve. David touches on this as he describes here in verse 6, he says, the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. And let me just pause. Put your finger on pause there and hold that thought. And, and, and I just want to take you back. He he says, He has made, he made known his ways to Moses. God did. God didn't, God didn't hold back. He didn't have secrets with Moses. He revealed to Moses everything that Moses needed to know to be able to lead the children of Israel through the through the wilderness. And on into the promised land. You may recall when God was giving Moses a new set of tablets because the first set was broken. God came down on the mountain there, we're told in, in, in Exodus chapter 34. And, and in verse 5 of Exodus 34, it says, Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. You see, the name of God is important. He proclaimed His own name to Moses. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. Listen, God is saying, Moses, do you want to know who this God is? Do you want to know something about me? This is who I am. I'm a God of great mercy, I'm a God of kindness, and I'm a God of compassion. So what David was saying, he remembered God had revealed all this to Moses. He made his ways known to Moses, verse 7. His acts to the children of Israel, which they experienced through their trek in the wilderness. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. Look how many times he's talking about the mercy of God, the love of God. He will not always strive with us. Nor will he keep his anger uh, forever. So, in the midst of the mercy, it's interesting that you'll see the judge, the justice of God, the judgment of God. The God is a merciful God; He's a loving and a forgiving God. But make no mistake about it: He is a just and a holy God. He will bring judgment. And for those who reject Him and those who rebel against Him and choose not to accept His Son, Jesus Christ, they have a day of reckoning whether they want to accept it or not. The Bible tells us that. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Do you understand, if you leave this this life, this world, not knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the very next appointment, the minute you breathe your last breath, you face the judgment of God because you're, you're separated Right away, you're separated into a place of torment called Hades where you will wait until that great white throne where the ultimate judgment will come in Revelation 21 where people who reject the Lord and His love and His mercy are cast along with the devil and death into that fiery pit that is known as hell for eternity. So there is judgment. Make no mistake about it. But God is compassionate towards those who love Him. Look at verse 10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad? I am. Um, that's called mercy, folks. God doesn't give us what we deserve. Sometimes people say, you know, not thinking. They'll just say, oh, it's not fair. God's not fair. I said, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a cotton-picking minute. You don't want God to be fair. Because if God is fair, your soul is already condemned to hell. No, we, He holds back from us what we deserve according to our sin. I'm glad for that. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. It's called mercy. That's what mercy is. In verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgression from us. I don't know if it was third day of casting crowns one of the contemporary groups sang a song about. As far as the east is from the west. Folks, you can get in one jet, you start heading east. I guess it's that way. And I get in the jet and start heading west and we don't change our course, we'll never meet again. We'll never, ever come back together again. You know what? Just think of it that way. When you confessed your sins and repented of your sins and put them in the hands of God, let me tell you something. He put your sins heading east and He put you in the grace of God and He headed you west. You will never see your sins again that you've confessed to the Lord, repented of. Isn't that good to know? God says, as far as the East is, that's infinity. That's how far He removes. Not only does He He forgive us of our sins, He removes them as far as you can possibly remove them. Oh, God is compassionate. Yes, He is. Look at verse thirteen. As a father pities His children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. We live in a very prideful society. Everybody's boasted and you know, built up and boastful and, and puffed up and everything as humanism tells us oh, all what, what wonderful things we are and how we're all our own gods and at the center of our own universe. And, oh, let me tell you something. We need, we need pity. And I'm glad God looks upon His children as a father, looks upon His child with pity because God understands we need it. Oh, listen, we need it. Because you see the psalmist beginning in verse 13 in contrast to talking about the attributes of God, His mercy and His love and His righteousness and, and mercy and all of that, now we, the, the psalmist David talks about the weakness of man. Oh, we are weak. You we don't know when we think we're strong and we think we're somebody. Let me tell you something. David lays that nails, hits the nail on the head of verse 14. He says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. God knows you better than you know yourself owes your makeup he created you shaped you right God knows that we we came from the dust and ultimately our physical bodies will go back to the dust at least until we are resurrected in that glorified body but God understands how fragile we are and that's what David is saying he remembers that we're dust that's why he's so compassionate look at verse 15 as for man his days are like grass now this will really boost you (laughs) next time you want to send a greeting card to lift somebody's spirits, you ought know, to just say, send them a greeting card that says, hey, your days are like grass. <laughs> As a flower in the field, of the field. And I think it's important being a country boy and having gotten out there and like to wander. I used to love to wander, just go out in the back fields and parts of the farm not many people were going to. And just, I love to see wildflowers and things like that. But the difference about uh, of a wildflower out in the field versus where I have my Perennials, is that the ones that keep coming back year after year? But anyway, the flowers in the flower bed, I can pretty much project where my flowers were last year and where they're going to come up this next year. But you go out in the field, you see beautiful daisies and black-eyed Susies and those wildflowers, let, let, let wintertime like we're having right now take place. Try to find those flowers. <laughs> Try to go back next year and say, Oh, I know this daisy was right. No, it's gone. Pshh. Once the jack frost hit it and killed it, and the winds came and blew it away, or the birds ate it, it's gone. It's, it's, you can't find it. Now this is what David is saying about the nature of human life. He says that's for man. His days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the winds pass over it and it is gone. And his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. Now I know some people probably get their their wings bent out of shape on this thing. And this probably bothers some people. But i got news for you. Our holy God does discriminate. Our holy God does discriminate. Because just as He brings judgment and reserves judgment upon those who rebel against Him and reject Him. Listen, praise God what David is saying in verse 17. We who are His people who fear Him. Do you notice that? Go back in verse 11. So great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. Drop down to verse 13. So the Lord pities those who fear Him. Look over here in verse 17. On those who fear Him. You see? Look at verse 18. To such as keep His covenant and to those who remember His commandments to do them. You see what He's saying? He says there's two pictures. Those who reject God, who have no place for the Lord, who reject His Son, Jesus Christ, who live their life selfishly and and repel God's love. He says, oh yeah, God's got something reserved for them. It's called judgment. You want to understand the, 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 the brevity of their life? You want to understand the value of their life? Think about a wildflower out in the field. That's about the extent of their life. They live it. Oh sure, they flourish. They have a career. They get their education. They make money. They may be popular. But then they die and they're like that old dead flower. It's gone. Not to mention that they're judged for eternity in hell. But in contrast, look what he's saying. For those who love the Lord. Who fear the Lord. We receive the mercy of God. The immeasurable, abundant, unending Mercy for those who fear Him, who respect Him, who obey Him, who love Him. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the children of God. God doesn't just give that to everybody that walks on the face of the earth. Now the universalists would have you to believe that everybody's going to be saved and everybody's going to go to heaven. Oh no, they're not. Not according to the teachings of the Word of God. It's only those who love the Lord, who fear Him, who respect Him, who are the recipients of His mercy. Let me tell you what will transport your soul from this life, this earthly life, over into the splendor and the bliss and the glory of the presence of God. It's called the mercy boat. And if you're not riding on the boat called mercy, dear friend, your soul has no chance of going into eternity into the presence of God. And it's God's love that has made that possible. Could I get an amen right there? Lord have mercy. Praise the Lord. Alright, as we close out, and we will, let me just share in these closing verses, verses 19 through 22. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heed in the voice of the Lord. Bless the Lord, all you, His host, You you ministers of His who do His pleasure. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord O my soul. As we look at the universal nature of God's love, where in all of creation is God's love not manifested? Where? And the answer is there's nowhere. (laughs) Because God's love has permeated all. All of creation. So when it comes to giving praise to God and blessing the Lord because of His mercy and His love, listen, we're not alone, ladies and gentlemen. We are certainly not alone. If you hold your place there at Psalm 103 and look quickly over to Psalm 148, I want you to see where the psalmist captures that same theme. He says in Psalm 148, beginning at the beginning of that psalm, verse 1, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him, all His angels, praise Him, all His hosts. You see, they're the angels, Michael and and Gabriel and all the angels, but then they're the heavenly hosts, the probably scare the wits out of us when we get there at first I mean the seraphim you know all them eyes and the wings and you know the cherubim oh all the heavenly hosts that are there serving the Lord they're there they're there they will join in praising the Lord praise him sun and moon and I, I wrote in my Bible in the in the index off to the side galaxies and solar systems praise him all you stars of light praise him you heavens of heavens and, and, and you waters above the the heavens he goes on in verse 5 let them praise the name of the Lord for he, he commands and they were created he also established them forever and ever he has made a decree which shall not pass away praise the lord from the earth you great sea creatures and all the depths fire and hell and snow and clouds stormy wind fulfilling his word mountains and all the hills fruit trees and cedars beasts and all cattle creeping things and flying fowls, kings of the earth and all people's princes and judges of the earth everybody young and old everybody praise the lord And I'll tell you the ones who will praise Him. It will be the ones who know that they have been the wonderful, blessed recipients of the love of God. That's a glimpse of heaven, ladies and gentlemen. That's a glimpse of heaven. Praise will be on our lips all the time. Just to be there. To personally be able to experience the fruition of our faith and to look into the wonderful face of the Savior who gave His life for us and to see God high and lifted up and to see the angels and the heavenly hosts, and, and the Shekinah glory of God just permeating throughout all of creation and all the creatures praising Him, praising Him. And that's, that's pretty big, isn't it? But isn't it interesting How David closes the psalm just like he started it in a very intimate and a very personal way. Can you imagine? Coming from the heights of heaven, all the way back down to little old David, and he says as he closes, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let your worship of God soar to the heights of heaven. Oh, but let it start first in your own soul. Praises be unto the Lord. Oh, how deep the love of Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me.